Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that while you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things uh, from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Well, there are some days in our lives that we simply never forget, aren't there? There's a few of those. Maybe for you, uh, you're a student, and the day you'll never forget was the day that you finally graduated high school. Good riddance, you had a bonfire with all your textbooks, and you burned them. Maybe for you, the day you'll never forget is the day that you retired. You had a year, a 40-year career, and you worked hard, and you finally got to get to that retirement moment. Maybe for you, the day you'll never forget is the day you got married. Maybe it was the day you became adopted. There's, there's days in our lives that we just never forget. For me, one of those days is the, the day I became a father for the very first time. I'll never forget that day. I know it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday in November. And the reason I know that is because I used to be our worship arts director and I was scheduled to lead worship that morning. And it turns out it's hard to get a substitute at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. <laughs> I remember panicked, calling everybody I could in my phone book, anybody in the city who could hold a tune, who could, who could sub for me that morning. I remember it was a very, very long labor, and Missy did most of that work, <laughs> most of it. I remember seeing Penelope for the first time. I remember uh, transitioning to the recovery area for several days. I remember nurses bombarding you at all hours of the night. They're always there to help, and many of them were mamas themselves. They were so helpful. They coached and encouraged us, gave us tips. I remember there was a fireman who even met me at my car in my Honda Accord and checked my car seats to make sure they were secured. I felt so supported. And then we left the hospital, and we drove home, and I'll never forget the moment we set Penny in the center of our living room on a new bouncy chair. She slept peacefully, and there was a quiet moment. We didn't say anything. And I remember thinking, 
Now what? <laughs> they, they just let us leave? No manual. We didn't even get a pamphlet on parenting. Nothing. The hospital is just like, here you go. Now what do we do? <laughs> we, we, th this is a human that's been entrusted to us, and we're supposed to parent now. I have no idea what we're supposed to do next. Can we still call the nurses? Did we get their cell phone numbers? Are they going to come with the button? Now what? I wonder if Paul and Timothy and Silas, when they spent just three weeks in Thessalonica, I wonder if they had a now what moment with some baby Christians. If you were with us last week, you remember Paul is defending his ministry to the church in Thessalonica and he's reviewing how he has served them. And last week we saw that Paul came in from Philippi through persecution and he spoke the gospel as bold as a martyr and as gentle as a mother. And by a miracle, by a miracle, as Paul spoke the gospel to people who had never heard this news about Jesus before, a miracle happened. And some people were born again. They put their faith in Jesus for the very first time and they became spiritual infants, brand new babies. And not just one, Paul became a dad to a whole gaggle of infants. And I wonder if he had that moment in Thessalonica. He only spent three weeks in Thessalonica before he got run out of town. I wonder if he set all of his baby Christians in a living room and looked at Silas and Timothy and thought, now what? Now what? I wonder if you can relate to that moment as it relates to discipleship. Have you ever had a, a now what moment in discipleship? Remember, disciple making is this process of, of taking spiritual infants and helping them grow and mature in Christ. That's discipleship. Have you had a now what moment as you go about making disciples? Maybe if you're honest right now, you, your now what moment with disciple making is, yeah, I get that I'm supposed to make disciples, but I just don't know how. I don't even know where to start. Maybe for you that reason is you say, nobody discipled me. How am I supposed to disciple somebody else? I don't know what I'm doing. Where's the nurse button in how to disciple? Could I get some help? Maybe for you, you have good intentions. You want to disciple. You might even know how, but you just, you don't have time. You'd say, you know what? My life's pretty busy right now. I can barely take care of myself. How could I intentionally invest in somebody else? Maybe you just simply don't have time. Here's the the trouble with any obstacle that you have with going about making disciples is as clear as can be, this is the central mission of the church. This isn't a side quest. It's the main agenda. We actually say it this way at LifePoint Church. We say LifePoint Church exists, catch this, to glorify God as we do what? Make gospel-driven disciples, period. That's what we do as a church. It's not the side agenda, it's the main agenda. And then just to flesh out what that means, making disciples, we say, this is what that looks like. It looks like engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. This is the mission of LifePoint in every church. 
And we're not making this up. This isn't our language, actually it comes straight from scripture. Jesus himself, the resurrected Lord, gathers his now, we'll call them like teenagers at this point. I don't know how mature they were in Christ. He's got his gaggle of disciples. Some of them in this moment even still doubted. And he gathers them and in Matthew 28 he says this, look, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples. It's the main commission. So whatever obstacles we have about disciple making, even for the now what moments, it's hard to get around the fact that this is the main command that Jesus gives us to do. Making disciples. How do we do that? How do we just, plain and simple, do what Jesus said to do as a church? How do we accomplish our mission? If you've had a now what moment with disciple making, there's good news. Paul gives us a bit of a roadmap today. As he defends his own ministry, we can learn from how Paul went about taking these infant baby Christians and helping them not only hear the gospel, but grow and mature in it, that they might be discipled. So let's learn some lessons from Paul himself. Take a look at the text with me. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. What is disciple-making? See it in the text with me. For you remember, brothers, that our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers, you baby believers. Three weeks with them, that's all he got. For you know how, listen to this, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What is disciple making? Paul could have chosen a lot of analogies for disciple making. Uh, the very word disciple means learner and pupil, and so a natural metaphor, I would think, for Paul is for him to say, I was like a teacher among you. You were my students. That would be an appropriate metaphor. Was that not how Jesus walked with his disciples? He was known as the Messiah, a, a teacher, rabbi. But Paul doesn't choose that analogy. Paul could have chosen perhaps a military analogy. I, like a commander with the soldiers, trained you in following Christ. He could have chosen that. He could have chosen a work analogy. I'm your boss and you are my workers. He doesn't choose any of those. He chooses one metaphor for disciple making. And in fact, he's already used it before when he referenced himself, he's treating them like a mother. And now he says, I treated you as a father. This is an incredibly beautiful picture of disciple making. That's how Paul saw himself with these infant baby Christians. A simple definition of disciple making, disciple making is spiritual parenting. It's spiritual parenting. That's what it was for Paul. That's the metaphor that he uses how to take infants in Christ and help them grow up and mature into full adulthood in Christ. Spiritual parenting. 
Now all the parents are starting to track. They're going, okay, I'm following. What's involved in spiritual parenting? Just like regular old parenting. I see three aspects that Paul points to of how he spiritually parented or discipled these young believers. Three aspects. If you wanna get into disciple making, if you wanna be spiritually parenting and helping people grow in Christ, it'll include at least three things. It'll include working hard, it'll include modeling, and it will include teaching. Let's see it in the text with me. First, working hard. Look at verse nine. Paul says this. For you remember, brothers, our, and there's lots of triads in this text, so it's gonna come in threes. Our labor and toil we worked. Three different words, all synonyms. He's trying to make a point. Labor, toil, work. I worked night and day for you. If we are to spiritually parent, if we are to disciple others, it will require hard work. Every parent in the room said, amen. Every teenager in the room who resents your parents, they're still working hard. They might not be doing it right, but it is hard work. Here's some of the hard work for Paul. We know for Paul, some of his hard work, both day and night, likely could have included a side hustle. A side hustle. We see that in Acts 18.3, a quick reference there. Paul was a tent maker. And so he tried his best to support himself. He's trying to buy a cheap used car on Craigslist so that he won't be a burden to anybody else in his ministry. I'm gonna make tents on the side so that I can be freed up to not charge anybody as I share the gospel into these new places. That's one of the ways he worked hard night and day. And he says in verse nine that he doesn't wanna be a burden to them. Paul consistently used this as a model of ministry. We see it also in, in 1 Corinthians as he ministered to the church in Corinth. Paul had a pattern that when he would go into a new place to minister to them, he would not expect compensation from them. But he would lean on the previous churches he had planted to support him. Does that sound familiar? It sounds a lot like our global partnership team. We've just recently sent out our first of three new global partners that we plan to send out in four years, Davida Freeman, and she's going sent, funded, supported by our church that she might not be a burden to those in Japan, but would be freed up to do ministry. It's hard work to disciple someone else, and Paul modeled that in his spiritual parenting of others. If disciple-making is spiritual parenting, it will include working hard, but it will also include modeling. Modeling. See it in the text with me. He continues in verse 10. You are witnesses and God also. He's saying, I'm not lying. They can testify. How, here's another triad, holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. These are synonyms, and don't waste your time trying to parse out what's the difference between holiness or righteousness or blameless. He's using a triad just to make a point. He's saying, look, my conduct before you was above reproach. Not sinless. He's not perfect. He's not God himself, but he is saying, I tried to model the very gospel I proclaim 
to you. It wasn't enough for Paul just to teach them things in the Bible. He himself lived the things he proclaimed so that just like a father models to their children, Paul, as a disciple maker, modeled to his spiritual children. Any parents in the room? Have you noticed what your kids pick up that you didn't teach them? Maybe some, some words that slip out at a party and little Timmy says something that is said in your household and you realize, oh, they're watching. <laughs> they're learning because of how we model. If disciple making is spiritual parenting, it will require working hard and it will require modeling, but it will also require teaching. That's the third piece I see in his definition of disciple making. Do you see the teaching? Paul continues, stay in the text with me. We've seen verse nine, we've seen verse 10, here's 11. For you know how like a father with his children, what's it like, spiritual parenting? Another triad. We got a triple triad. We exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul didn't simply model the Christian life and hope that they would pick up on what it's like to be a Christian. Which that's some of our best efforts in disciple making, isn't it? I'm just gonna be a Christian around my friends at school and hope that they pick up on that, that I don't cuss. And maybe just kind of through osmosis, they'll sort of figure out the gospel and understand what it means to follow Christ and I won't actually have to open my mouth. But that's not what it is for Paul. No, 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 he, he walked the walked, but he also talked the talked. He opened his mouth and taught them. These three words, exhortation, that's not a word we use a lot today, but you could define that. Here's some synonyms for exhorting from a lexicon. That could be urging, imploring, or requesting or inviting earnestly. This is the, the asking of, come on, let's follow Christ together using his words. But not only that, he encouraged. He encouraged, this includes consoling and comforting when the journey of following Christ gets difficult. But he just, he wasn't just a warm blanket of comfort. Paul charged them. This word has language of testifying or calling to witness. It has a sense of holding one accountable. He's saying, not only am I teaching you these things, but I'm following up in letters in letters, making sure, hey Thessalonians, I'm holding you accountable. Are you doing what I've called you to do? Are you walking in a manner worthy of God? What is disciple making? Disciple making for Paul, right here, twice in 1 Thessalonians. It's being a mother, it's being a father, it is spiritual parenting. And if we are to spiritually parent infants, it will include working really hard, modeling this life, and teaching, and teaching. John Tyson wrote a book responding to this. He's a Christian author, but he wrote a book on parenting called The Intentional Father. And he has this great quote about what he sees about parenting and just regular parenting that applies to spiritual parenting as well. John Tyson says this, formation, maturing, 
growing, developing. Formation happens day by day. And distortion happens day by day. We are either helping our sons move into adulthood or joining the culture's attempt to trap them in an extended adolescence. Ooh. Tyson draws out something about our culture that's accurate. Every day, children are being formed. And they're either being formed by your intentional parenting or they're being formed by the culture. And if this is true of children, how much more true is it for the children spiritually of the church? Do you see the danger here? If we are not about fulfilling the Great Commission and actually making disciples, you might evangelize, you might share the gospel, and some baby Christians might be born, but they need discipleship lest they become delayed adolescents. We don't want Christians who have been walking with Jesus for 40 years, moving back into our basements. That's not what we want. We wanna help that, and listen to me, if they do, it's on us. Church, if they do, if a baby Christian is not maturing, we, the church, must be fulfilling our mission to make Disciples, this is, I'm putting a flag in the ground. I'm saying we won't stand for this. The world's increasingly hostile. We need Christians who mature in Christ. And the means, the means that God has ordained is that we would be his vessels, his instruments, making disciples by trusting in him. What is disciple making? It's spiritual parenting. When you've read Matthew 28, the Great Commission, or you've heard us talk about it, have you ever thought about the Great Commission in those terms? How do you view discipleship? If you're really honest with yourself, is it something that you've hardly considered? I'm a Christian, I go to church, and that's good enough. Or how do you see Christ's commission to us to make Disciples, do you see it as heavy as the responsibility when Missy and I are sitting in our living room with a life utterly dependent on us? What now? What now? Church, if you've been walking with Christ for some time, we have babies in the middle of this church, and they need people to come and say, yes, I will intentionally give myself my life to help you grow and mature in Christ. What is disciple making? It's spiritual parenting. Then the next natural question is how do we do it? How do we make disciples? Paul gives us a roadmap. Look at it in verse 13. Chapter two, verse 13. Paul says this, and we also thank God constantly for this. Notice, notice the means. He's making disciples. What's the tool he's gonna reach for to make a disciple? that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Check this, 
Who's working hard? Paul's working hard. Three times he's saying working hard. But what else is at work? What else is at work? The word of God, which is at work in you believers. This was his tool. This was his tool. This is the means of disciple making. It's intentionally and relationally investing yourself in someone else to help them grow and mature through the word of God. This is disciple making. And for Paul, that's the means that he used to see him. He trusted the word of God so much that he said, it's the word of God that's at work in you. Any fruit that's being produced in your life is because you've heard the word of God, you've received it, and the spirit has applied it into your life such that your life is beginning to change. This is the means of doing it. We even see this in Christ's great commission. Go back to Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples, but he gives flesh to that. How are you gonna make disciples? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Where would we find out all that Jesus has commanded us? It's right here. A fair translation in synonym, synonym could be teaching them to observe all that I wrote down. I am the word and this is the word. See, disciple making can't stop with spiritual infants evangelizing them. It must continue in teaching all that God has commanded in his word. Tony Payne, an Australian pastor, gives an excellent definition, I think illustrates with clarity how this ministry of the word helps people grow and mature in Christ. I'll read a portion for, it, uh, for you. Tony Payne says this, the word disciple means above all else, learner or pupil. And this is how we become disciples and how we grow as disciples by hearing and learning the word of Christ, the gospel, and having its truths applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The essence of this vine work, or like the organic growth of maturing in Christ, is the prayerful, spirit-backed speaking of the message of the Bible by one person to another. That's it. That's pretty simple. Tony Payne goes on to illustrate that this happens in all kinds of context. Did you know I'm making disciples right now? This is disciple making. You and I, we're gathered, it's a big group, but we're opening the Bible, we're learning and hearing what it says, and we're applying the truths by prayer and the spirit into our lives. This is disciple making, it's happening right now. And it happens in all kinds of contexts. Disciple making happens in your DTMs and in your life groups. Disciple making happens when 150 kids show up to VBS, but it doesn't just happen in church programs. That's one context. Because disciple making happens when you have a conversation over the back fence with your neighbor. That's a context for disciple making. Disciple making can happen when a coworker asks you why you don't cuss. And you share from the word of God. You reference the word of God. You say, this is why I live this way. And you give a testimony. Disciple making happens when you have a friend in the hospital who's hurting and you write them a card and you, you include a promise from scripture that encourages them. You are making disciples in that moment. You see, because it's the intentional and relational investing in someone else, 
using the word of God as the ministry. This was the means for Paul. And it's the means for us. It's the greatest tool we could be given. What is disciple making? Disciple making is spiritual parenting. And how do we do it? We take the role of a father using the tool of the word. This is disciple making. How do you make disciples? How do you make disciples? Are we using the word of God to help people mature in Christ? What is disciple making? It's spiritual parenting. How do we do it? We use the tool of the word of God. And finally, what are the results of disciple making? Or in other words, what's the goal? What's the aim? What are we shooting for? Paul says this, it must be a life transformed to be more like Christ. See it in the text with me. Paul says this, starting in verse 14. Now you gotta, this is where you gotta pay attention a little bit, okay? Follow me. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So he's speaking to a church in Thessalonica, a, a far more Gentile region filled with a lot of Greeks and Romans. And he's saying, you're becoming imitators of a previous church back in Jerusalem, Judea. Why? For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out to displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us of speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So always is to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, hey, baby Christians in Thessalonica, you're becoming Im imitators of others who have followed Christ. And they, the, the fruit, the result of following Christ was persecution. How's that for some fruit? You became a Christian, and what evidence was there that the Christians in Judea and in Thessalonica became Christians? Their lives were so transformed that they became the target of persecution. Don't, don't you see? If they heard the gospel and received it and just said in word, yes, we are Christians. However, we will continue to go to temple worship. I will continue to have my idols. I will continue to live my life exactly like I did before. Do you know what happens? They get to be Christian in name and they don't get any persecution. But not for the real Christians in Judea and in Thessalonica. Their lives were so transformed, so distinct from the culture that they began to experience persecution as they turned away from their idols and their old ways of living and they lived against the grain, the culture. Now, you're sitting in America and that's different than Thessalonica. It's different than Judea. I mean, this is God's country, right? And you haven't tasted persecution, not like they have. Now, you can travel through time to taste persecution. You can also get on a plane and travel to a different country. And I actually had that opportunity a long time ago, back in college. I had an opportunity to teach in India at a school of worship. And as I'm driving around India, I'm able to see the, the signs, massive statues of their gods, Hindu god. And I'm able to 
eat with these people. So we'll sit on the ground and we, there's no hand sanitizer. You just use your hand, you scoop it right up, and put it in your mouth. But the thing that I remember, because there's some days in our lives that we never forget, and one other day I'll never forget is the day that I got to minister with a, a group of young men. I was teaching them at a school of worship. There's house churches popping up all over in India, but they don't have people who are trained to even lead worship. They wanted to sing hymns in their worship gathering. So I'm, I'm there, I'm training them, and I'd been teaching them all week, but I took time at the end of the week to hear their stories. And I sat down and asked them, how did you become a follower of Christ? Was it at summer camp? Was it VBS? Is that when you trusted Jesus? Nope. No, I was naive. No, I heard story after story after story of what it cost for these young men to follow Christ. It cost everything. That was the, the only common denominators. Every one of their stories, it meant they were ostracized from their family. You are no longer our son and they were persecuted in their culture. And this is just a few thousand miles that way, Hyderabad, India. It happens today, but we've, we here in America, we don't taste it. But part of why we're doing this series, we said the, the subtitle for the series is Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World. And we see, if you've tasted it already, it is becoming an increasingly hostile environment to be a Christian. Will your life as a disciple of Christ look so different than the culture around you that you may even experience persecution? For Paul, this was the aim of disciple making. Not to transfer information, not to have them memorize just some scriptures in Greek and in Hebrew, but that those scriptures would actually transform their lives. That's the aim. That's the aim. And we're passionate about this here at LifePoint. We're not here for you to just learn more information. We want you to know Christ and live out this gospel. It's so passionate for us, we've even developed a tool to help us reach this measure, life transformation, becoming more like Jesus. And you can go to sharethelife.org slash like Jesus, or you get there just by clicking the resources button. It's a page right there. And we've got categories and 30 diagnostic questions that can help you in conversations with others grow in Christ. You could even just read through the list of questions over a cup of coffee with someone and say, hey, where do you want to start? Do you have questions about prayer? You don't know how to pray? Okay, let's get, let's get Starbucks. Let's talk about prayer. And I'll open the word of God and I'll show you what Jesus said about prayer. And I'll teach you and then we'll practice it together. Why don't we just pray together? And then I'll hold you accountable. And I'll follow up with you and say, hey, are you growing in prayer? Are you praying daily? And if you did, you would be a spiritual parent. You'd be a disciple maker. What is disciple making? It's spiritual parenting. How do we do it? We use the tool of the word of God. And what's our aim? We wanna see lives transformed to become more like Jesus. There are some days that you simply never forget, aren't there? 
I wonder if there was a day for the disciples that they'll never forget. I'm confident they wouldn't have forgotten this day. Imagine, you've been following Jesus for three years, you watched him die on a cross, and then he's alive. You see the hands that have scars, and he gathers you, and right before he leaves, he says these words, a day these disciples would never forget. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. They'd never forget that day, would they? And if it weren't for Christ, that command would feel an unbearable weight. Jesus, me, no. But then Christ, Christ says these words that remind us of the gospel. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do you know why Christ can say that? Because when you were lost and dying in your sins, Christ died for you and made a way to adopt you and me as baby Christians into his family, that we could do his work because we're a member of Christ's family. This is the reminder of the gospel and the encouragement for us today. If you feel a weight of pressure, I hope you do, And now I want to bring the encouragement of Christ that he's with you in our great mission. Let's pray together. Father, we pray to you because we recognize how utterly we need you. Uh, This is not a mission that we can accomplish in our own strength. And Father, we, we confess, Lord, even the sin of neglect or displacing responsibility onto others. And we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness that you would pour out your grace on us and then help us, Lord, help us respond with more boldness and confidence and strength to pursue doing the very work that you've called us to do, to make disciples. I pray for anyone in the room right now who would be feeling overwhelmed, not understanding how, Lord, that you would encourage them and remind them of how you are with us and how you will not give a command without giving us the means of accomplishing it. So give us grace, grace upon grace today to fulfill your great mission to the world as we aim to make disciples and bring you glory. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.